Well, thank you, Pete, and good morning to you, Christ Church of Oakbrook. I'll do that again. Good morning to you, Christ Church of Oakbrook. It is, thank you very much. <laughs> it is so special for me to be with you this morning. And I know you already know this, but uh, I just want to remind you of what a special church you are a part of. Your pastors and the staff here, they are incredible people that love God and they love you. And I have been privileged to follow along in the journey of Christ Church of Oakbrook for many years. I grew up in the western suburbs, uh, real close uh, to here. I grew up in Wheaton and as Pete just said, my husband and I pastor a church down in the West Loop. And uh, we planted our church uh, just a little over 10 years years ago. We are 10 years old. This is a picture of my family that I brought along with. Um, as Pete mentioned, we have a 15-year-old who just started his sophomore year of high school and a 13-year-old that is getting ready in just a couple of days to start eighth grade. That's Gigi. Um, when your church invited me to come and preach this morning, they said, you can teach on anything that God has laid on your heart, anything that God puts on your heart. And in light of this last year and a half that we have all walked through together, I thought, I want to preach on what do you do when you really need God to come through for you? And what's so fascinating to me is I, I planned to preach this, you know, a number of weeks ago. And then in light of the week that we all just walk through together, I thought, thank you, God, for your, your unbelievable timing. Because I imagine every single one of us has had a moment this last 18 months, personally and even globally, where we've thought, God, can't you just do one of those miracles for me? Can't you just do one of those miracles that you did in your word for me, for our world, for our community? I mean, anyone among us thought these last 18 months, God, could you just break through? Like, could you just fix it now and could you do it quickly? I, I know I have. And I felt it on a global level and, and I imagine that all of us have felt it on a personal level over these last many, many months. Maybe you felt it in your job, maybe in your finances, maybe in your personal health. I imagine at some point though, in your life, you have asked God to move in your life, to give you your own personal miracle. Am I right? I think we have all had those moments where we've just thought, God, will you do it? in my life the same way you did it in your word. And, and miracles are like that, aren't they? We want them, we pray for them, but we also don't always know how they work. You know, several years ago, I was sitting in a Bible theology class in college and, and we were going through the gospels and we were studying the miracles of Jesus. And we got to that biggest miracle of them all when Jesus fed the multitudes with a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread. And someone in, in the class raised their hand and asked the professor, do you think miracles still happen today? 
And I remember that moment in that bland college classroom so clearly. And, and, and I believe that my classmate was asking the question, do miracles still happen? Because if you've ever studied psychology, you know that psychologists believe that there's usually in a question like, do miracles still happen? It's a presenting question because there's a question beneath the question. And when the student asked the professor, do miracles still happen? I believe what they were most likely asking was, do miracles still happen for me? Like, I, I know what God's done in, in, in his word. I, I know what he's capable of doing, but do miracles still happen in my life? And, and I imagine every single one of us have had a moment or many moments when you've asked that same question. Do miracles still happen for me? And that's what we're going to look at for just a moment this morning. So I want to invite you to actually turn to Mark 6 if you brought your Bible with you. If not, we're going to have it up here on the screen. And we're going to take a look at that most famous miracle of Jesus when he fed the multitudes with just a few loaves of bread and fish. Starting out, Mark 6, verse 30, it says this. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they didn't even have a chance to eat. So he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and let's get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them, and they ran on foot from all the towns, and they got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Now I want to pause right there and, and I want us to look at the behavior of Jesus in this moment. It says that he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus didn't say like, hey, you know, listen, I, I got to tell you, we're, we're really hungry. So if you could just wait a minute and come back later or, or my, my, ex my disciples, they're exhausted. Can, can you just come back tomorrow? Or, or he didn't say something like, you know, I haven't taught you about the Sabbath yet, but it's my day off and, and I'm not into doing a whole lot of preaching today. It says that Jesus had compassion on them. And he began to teach. Now, compassion in Latin literally means to suffer with. So the behavior of Jesus of, is one of compassion. He chooses to suffer with the people. And as we keep reading, we'll see that the behavior of the disciples is quite different from that of Jesus. It goes on in verse 35, and it says, by this time it was late in the day, so as his disciples came to him, they said, this is a remote place. It's really already late. We need to send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, well, that would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do we have? Jesus asked. Go 
and see. And when they found out, they said, we've got five and we found two fish. Now, if you remember earlier, it says that when the disciples came to Jesus, I don't know if you remember the description, but it says that they were hungry. They were hungry. So the disciples were hungry. But if you remember, they never got any food. And now here they are in a huge crowd. And what does Jesus decide to do when they're hungry? When they are actually not just hungry, but they're hangry. Do you know what hangry is? When when you're so angry and you're hungry, you become hangry. Anybody ever been hangry? In a show of hands. Okay, the rest of you that are not raising your hands, you're lying. And you're in church this morning, friends. We have all been hangry, okay? And the disciples are hangry. And Jesus decides that this is the moment, this is the perfect moment when they're hangry to show compassion. Now, I'm sure the hanger of the disciples did not go away as they watched Jesus show compassion. I imagine they wanted that compassion to be shown to them. They were the ones that were working so hard that they didn't have time to eat. They were the ones that were exhausted. So they go and ask Jesus on behalf of the crowd for what they want for themselves. You can almost hear them them saying it, right? Jesus, oh gosh, I mean, we see you're showing compassion. Maybe we should show compassion too. These people are far from home. I mean, this could be dangerous. Jesus, the restaurants are about to close in Jerusalem. Jesus, I don't think Uber Eats delivers in this region. You can almost hear the disciples trying to make an excuse. But Jesus looks past it and says, well, how many How many loaves do we have? And before they can come up with an excuse, he says, go and see. Go and see. Which is a critical moment in the story, and it's a critical moment to every miracle Jesus has ever done. Jesus says, what do you have? Jesus wants to know what's already in your hands. What's available to you? Because Jesus uses what we already have to provide what we desperately need. Jesus uses what we already have to provide what we desperately need. One of the names of God is Jehovah Jireh, my provider. And so often God, the source, brings the provision in what he has already supplied. But we are so often fixated on what we can't see that we forget about what we can see. We focus on what we don't have and we forget about what we already do have. I know this to be true in in my own life in different seasons. God wants me to do something and my first response is to come up with the reasons why I can't do it. Maybe this is true for you. We think about scarcity, but Jesus always thinks about abundance. You see, so often God calls and our answer is, but but God, you don't see all the things that are going on in my life. God calls and we say something like, but God, you you don't understand all these limitations that I'm dealing with. But God, you don't understand I'm not smart enough to solve that problem. But God, I don't know what I'm doing in this situation. But God, I, I, I don't know how to parent these kids through this situation. And he's like, listen, 
I hear all of your excuses, but I'm God. And this is so often how we talk to God. You can see it in the disciples' answers. They say, we don't have much. They see scarcity. All they see is five loaves of bread and two fish. But Jesus always sees abundance. In fact, you go on in the passage in in verse 39 and it says, then Jesus directed them to have all the people come and sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves and then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all and they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish and the number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Now, I want to pause there for just a moment because it says the number of men who had eaten was 5,000. You see, in that time of history, when they counted people, they only counted men. And so if you were to count the women and the children, and since I was once a child and I'm now a woman, I'm kind of an advocate for counting all of the people, because as far as I'm concerned, all the people always count. It's fascinating even that the other gospel accounts of this miracle tell us that the fish and the loaves came from a kid that would not have been counted to provide the miracle ingredients. So for anyone that has ever thought, I don't know if I really matter, I don't know if I really count, it all counts to Jesus. And here's what's amazing. If you actually counted everyone, scholars estimate that the number would have been 20,000 people. Can you imagine having to put on a meal for 20,000 people? A little stressful, right? Here's what is so amazing. It says that Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, that he looked to heaven, he gave thanks, and what does it say he does in the scripture? He broke it open. He broke the loaves. You see, what Jesus did was he blessed what would never be enough. He gave thanks for what was all ready there. He gave thanks for what was already given and he broke it open. And here's what's so critical for us to understand. It did not multiply until it was broken. It did not multiply until it was broken open. And I know that there are some of you that are thinking that thing that has broken you, you wonder if that thing that has broken you, if it will actually bury you that mistake in your past or that mess in your family or all the ways that you feel like you don't get it right as a parent. Listen, I have two teenagers. I have those moments all the time. That thing you wish you would have done differently. Those words you didn't really mean and you don't know how to take them back. Whatever it is that is breaking you open, you need to hear this today. Blessings are often born in brokenness. Blessings are so often born in brokenness. 
You see, with Jesus, our brokenness is never meant to break us. It's always there to birth new blessings. And the only thing Jesus may want you to hear today from this miracle story is that your miracle is in knowing that your brokenness, whatever it is that you are walking through in your life right now, it can birth a blessing. Something new can come from what seems too far gone. And then you get back to the story, and it says in verse 45, after the miracle was done, after the 20,000 people were fed with a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish, it says in verse 45 that immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat, go on ahead of him to Bethsaida, and while he dismissed the crowd, after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Now most people would stop right there for good reasons. This is quite an extraordinary story, right? 20,000 people fed with, with five loaves and two fish. But I think it's critical that we actually connect the next moments in the gospel in Mark to the next miracle. Because it says in verse 47, later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on the land. He saw the disciples and they were straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified, and immediately he spoke to them and he said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Now what's amazing to me is Jesus just has the most epic of miracles. 20,000 people are fed. And he decides, eh, I'm going to double down on this miracle. I'm going to go for a stroll on the lake tonight. He has another miracle on top of that miracle. If you remember, everyone, when they had got done eating, when they were all satisfied, it says that Jesus told the disciples to pick up all of the leftovers, and they picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces of bread and fish. Now, isn't it interesting that there were precisely 12 baskets of leftovers and there were 12 disciples? Now, I have been a follower of Jesus for a long, long time. I have been a pastor for a long time. Remember, I told you I took a class on the miracles of Jesus and I had never paid attention to the fact that there were 12 doggy bags of the leftover miracle and there were 12 disciples. So that means that every single disciple had their own personal leftover miracle with them to take onto the boat. Every one of them had a remnant of the miracle, a physical reminder of God that he was right there with them, holding it in their hands. And just a few hours later, with that physical reminder in their hands, the text says that when they saw the God of miracles walking across the lake in the midst of another miracle, it says they were terrified. Here they are, 
holding their own leftover miracle in one hand, looking out and watching another miracle. And yet they were terrified. And Jesus says to them, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. And in verse 51 it says, he climbed into the boat with them, the wind died down, and they were completely amazed. For they had not understood about the loaves and the fish because their hearts were hardened. They hadn't understood what God was doing. And it's easy to read this passage and think, gosh, how did the disciples miss it like that? I mean, how is it they spent all that time with Jesus? They traveled together, ate meals together. They just experienced Jesus feeding 20,000 people. They're holding a leftover miracle bag in their hand. And they still thought he was a ghost. How could their hearts get hardened? And the reality of why it's important to connect these two miracles to one another is because the disciples experienced the miracles of God, but they did not really know the God of miracles. And that's critical that we understand that, friends. They experienced the miracle of God. And yet they did not really know the God of miracles personally. And so many of us were just like the disciples. When we face the realities of life, when we walk through a season like the last 18 months that we just walked through, when we walk through just this past week, we only look at the storm and we forget the miraculous sacks of food that we are still holding in our hands. And God is not interested in us just knowing about miracles. God doesn't want us to just be able to rattle off all the amazing things that God once did. God wants us to experience what he is doing in the here and the now because our God is still a God of miracles. And some of, someone here today, I believe you came to church and you need to hear that. You need to hear that personally. Listen, I, I am not a miracle expert. Your pastors did not invite me to come and preach here today because I am a professional when it comes to the miracles of God. There is so much that I miss in my life. I am far from perfect. But so often I think, God, why on earth why on earth did you pick me for this calling? Because I feel so much more like the disciples in this story. And God has been reminding me over and over again that from cover to cover in this book, the ingredients of a miracle are actually quite simple. The recipe never changes and there are only two things required. The ingredients of a miracle are God's ability and your availability. That's it. God's ability and your availability. God is always ready to show up with his supernatural ability and what he is looking for is what is in your hands already. Do you have some fish? Do you have some loaves of bread? Jesus always asks, what do you have? What can you make available? And yet, so often, 
instead of looking at what God has already placed in our hands. We tend to think that the, the problem is we actually need to change around the recipe for the miracle. You see, for many of us, we think what's missing is that there needs to be some extra ingredients to the miracle. That there's no way it could taste good. There's no way God could do what God's going to do with just those two ingredients. We need a few more things to make this miracle happen, right? And what we start thinking is, I know what it is. I just need some more faith. If I bring some more faith to the table, then for sure God will do the thing that I need God to do. I just need to put some more faith into the equation. Or, or many of us think, I know what's wrong. I need to pray some more. I need more prayer in my life. I, you know, have gotten so turned around in these last year and a half, and I just need to pray some more. Or others of us think, I know what the problem is. I need to read my Bible more. That must be what's missing. And that must be why the miracle isn't happening. I just haven't been praying or haven't been exercising my faith. And I need to read my Bible some more. Or many of us think, I know what it is. I need to give some more money. That must be, that must be what's wrong here. I need to stop going to Starbucks and getting those Frappuccinos and I need to start giving some more money to some really good, you know, organizations. I need to give more to my church. And the reason that there isn't a miracle in my life is I need to do all of these things, all good things. But we associate them as ingredients to the miracle. And for some of us, it's not just about doing more things. We think to ourselves, I know what it is. I need to do less of something. I just need to doubt less. I have so many doubts, and if I just stop doubting, then maybe the miracle will happen. Or, or for me, they think like, oh, I know what it is. It's, it's less fear. If I could just get rid of my fear, then maybe that would happen. And then others of us think, I know, I know what it is. It's less sin. If I just start sinning less, this whole thing is going to be a whole lot easier. And the problem is, is we think if I just start sinning less, you know, it's going to be a lot better. But the problem is sin. It just tastes so good, doesn't it? Others of us think to ourselves, I know what it is. I just got to make less mistakes. Oh, now the shell is in there. And we think that this is what makes the miracle happen in our lives, friends. That if we do these things, then God will do what God says God's going to do. But if you go back to the story, and if you look at every other miracle in the scriptures, there are two ingredients. God's ability and your availability. That's it. That's it. And this is what makes the miracle. God's ability and your availability. And God always does the supernatural through these two things. It's not about your more or your less. And many of these things are good things, important things, things that I would say are critical to our discipleship and to our growth. But the movement of God, it's not dependent on these things. For God to move in your life, to do a miracle, 
It's connected to God's ability and your availability. And so many of us, what, what we end up doing when we start thinking about the more or the less ingredients is we start into this risk mitigation for a miracle. Like we have to provide God with some kind of miracle insurance plan. If I just do more of this and less than this, well then God will do what God is going to do. And we start taking up a management position for God. And if the miracle is all about your ability, that more or that less that you put into the bowl, you forget about God's supernatural ability. And may I remind us that a miracle is always impossible until it happens. And they show up in all kinds of different ways. And I am confident that there are some of you here today and you need a miracle. And some of you are believing it's going to come one way. But God just might be working it out in a totally different way. I had one of those miracle experiences in my own life this last year that I didn't see coming. Um, a part of my story is that at a very young age, both my dad and my brother passed away suddenly, and both were cardiac-related deaths. And their losses rocked my world. And the grief journey was utterly significant for me and that process um, led me to start to wonder if perhaps I needed to do some research and some better understanding uh, of my own heart and its own functions. And through lots of different tests and meeting with doctors and specialists, um, I was encouraged to actually have heart surgery earlier this year and to receive a heart defibrillator. And it was such a big decision. Um, but what I realized was that this was something that God had put in my hands. I had the ability to make a decision like that that would hopefully lead to the miracle of a much longer life. So earlier this year, um, in January, I received a heart defibrillator, and I'm now like a female Tony Stark. Um, I'm just an iron woman. Um, and sometimes miracles come in ways that we never expect them. Sometimes they even come in ways that we would not have written them into our story, in ways that we perhaps would not have chosen. But God always uses what you have with his supernatural ability, because the God of miracles is still doing miracles today. And I'd love to pray for us as we close. Jesus, we ask that you would use what we already have to provide us with what we so desperately need. Thank you that you are not a God that once did miracles, but you are a God that still does miracles. And for each person here in this room, each person worshiping with us online, each person worshiping from another location, God, we ask that you would help us to open ourselves up to your supernatural ability to move in our lives. 
It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen.